Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Here is a news flash for you. I have always known that there was something wrong with me, but for the longest time, I did not know what it was. I think that I might be the majority report. Everybody has this, what I call an internal awkwardness of the soul, that sense of shame, those feelings of guilt that we carry around with us. And I was just that person. As I became older, I realized that it was an internal awkwardness. It was a sense of shame. And what I did to compensate for my soul noise, my soul dysfunction, crave acceptance or approval from others. That was my solution. You feel bad inside. I just need somebody to love me. I fell prey to self-generated value, meaning I needed to figure out how I could manipulate other people to like me because I did not feel good on the inside. The thing was, is I connected my value as a human to the opinions of others. Do you see anything wrong with that formula? It would have been a good day if they had given me the proverbial thumbs up. If they gave me the thumbs down, well, the clouds would roll in as I slithered away in search of significance another way. I don't think that I am an anomaly here. I run into people all the time who are looking for ways to feel better about themselves. Now, I understand that. That is part of the human condition. And on the face of it, there is nothing wrong with that. Because the testimony of Scripture says that we have to feel bad about ourselves or there will not be any need to look for another way to feel better about ourselves. The problem is this idea of self-generated value. If we try to find our value, our source of strength, our source of feel-good from other people on the horizontal plane, then, well, we will be heading down a very dark road. The person who longs and lives for the approval and acceptance of others while always guarding against their rejection is bowing to the gods of this world. Wanting to be wanted by someone does not have to be wrong, but we can quickly flip it on its head by permitting that desire to control us, even training us to do things we would never do if God managed our hearts. Well, that was me. For the first 25 years of my life, which was the time that I was walking in darkness in the futility of my mind, that blind man groping for the walls in the dark, God regenerated me at that point. But up to that time in my life, I sought self-generated and manipulated love by pretzeling myself into whatever person I needed to become so others would accept me. For example, I grew my hair down my back because my friends had their hair down their backs. Now, I wouldn't mind a little bit of that hair back. I had some sweet, silky locks, and it did go down to my shoulder blades. I became a post-60s hippie. I would also drink beer because my friends did. Now, the ironic thing about me drinking beer is that I have never enjoyed beer of any kind. I just don't like it. It doesn't work with my taste buds. And believe me, I have tried. 
virtually every kind of beer known to mankind. Here's a little peek into how desperate I was for a friend or a group of friends. I would go out with the gang. I would drink beer. But typically, I would drink beer with a straw. Now, this is not a pro tip. What I was trying to do is to put the beer in the back of my throat so that I could down it as quick as I possibly could and then try to keep up with all of their beer drinking. Now, I don't know if any of those friends remember me at this point. I barely remember them. The only one that I could really think of when we were going down Olive Branch Road was Ken Smith, who happened to be driving a truck, I believe. But if they were to hear this today, they probably would smile, but I think they would be old enough by now to understand uh, the lengths that people would go through to and the hurdles that people would jump over just to have a friend. I've shared this story before. I was counseling a young man. Uh, he was 17 years old, I believe. And he told me, Mr. Thomas, you do not wear Walmart, a Walmart t-shirt to high school. He was saying the same thing. He so wanted to be part of a group. He knew what self-generated righteousness was, even though he did not label it that way. By the way, he did not know what fear of man was either, though he was guilty on both counts. But he realized that if he was going to be respected or not put down, if he was going to find any kind of significance in his life, well, he wouldn't be caught dead with a Walmart t-shirt on. It is instructive of what a person will do for the acceptance of someone. By the way, if you don't understand what I am saying, and there could be a good chance that uh, you are delusional uh, because this is a part of what it means to be in Adam. We want people to like us. And if we do not have enough self-awareness to understand that that represents all of us, like my friend who would not wear a a t-shirt, a Walmart t-shirt specifically, at high school, me drinking beer with a straw. How pathetic is that? But that's how we are. And I trust that you do have, this, you do have the self-awareness to understand that there are those temptations resident in you. You're not a robot. You're a fallen human just as I am and my 17-year-old friend. I smoked weed because my friend did it. My worldview was to become what I needed to be so that others would invite me into their fold. Somebody, please, somebody love me. Today, we call it a social contagion. People want to be part of the group. Many of us smile at them as they all want to do their own thing. They want to be unique. And then when they all get together, they all look the same. It's kind of funny, but we have been there too. But these social contagions that we find today, uh, well, they're easily accessible as folks get on their uh, socials, their platforms through their devices, and they find the manipulators on the other end of the algorithm telling them that if you want to be accepted, or sometimes they would talk about it this way, that your parents just don't understand. Your parents don't love you. Your parents are paternal. Your parents are part of the patriarchy, and there is a better way. There is a path that leads to the light, and we will show 
show you the way. And then there are thousands of thousands, thousands and millions of people migrating from their homes, plopping down on these social media platforms, finding the love that they crave in their heart, just like you and me. But these are cisterns that cannot ever hold water. Some of them get to the place to where I was as a 25-year-old kid, trying all of these different cisterns, none of them satisfying my thirst. The essence of my worldview was to create the perception of value so others would enjoy being around me. And so I did pretzel myself. You drinking beer? I'll twist myself into liking beer. You're smoking weed? I'll do that too. How long can your hair grow? Well, look at mine. Typically, I would find the most comfortable clique to belong to without going off the deep end, though I did teeter along the edge of too many deep ends too many times. For me, the path of the least resistance was to grow my hair long because, well, I would never win friends or influence people on the field of play. Imagine me being a quarterback. That is laughable. I was smallish and I was an uncoordinated kid. I had no skills, to be honest with you, except I was good at pretzeling myself into what other people were in order to be invited into their clique. Smoking weed was easier than getting good grades because it took less effort. That's the path of least resistance. And so what I did is I went with my strengths, and that is what you will find over and over again. A person will not dabble on the shallow end of failure because uh, they don't want to look bad in other, before other people. And so they will always find the things that they can do or fake doing those things. Uh, they're working within their strengths. Growing hair and smoking weed and doing the bad things was easy to do. I was a professional. But if you put me in the band to play an instrument or on the field of play to be an athlete, well, I would fail over and over again. And that is the kryptonite. We do not want to be rejected. Creating and sustaining self-worth is like a it's like a weightlifting marathon without any relief. It required more work than I could ever deliver, even working within my own strengths. For the person who is self-generating their favor among their peers, well, they're going to break down at some point. Now, for me, eventually, it landed me in jail as a 15-year-old kid. Now, that was one of the best things that had ever happened to me. It was my first most significant wake-up call. It wasn't salvation, but it, it snapped me out of my stupor, and it put me on a better path looking for a better way. Now, it took another 10 years to get to the way. Jesus Christ is the way. But going to jail was a very good thing. Our culture makes it easier than ever to have self-generated value. You can dye your hair. You can enhance your breast. You can tuck your tummy. You can even throw your food back up until you become the person that you hope others will find appealing. Or you can go down the chemical route, legal or illegal. I went down the illegal chemical route. There are people going down the so-called legal chemical route today to alter their phys physiques because they want to present themselves in the most favorable light. 
on socials, for example, hoping to receive those likes and shares. You can dive into the fantasy world of porn, where the average underachiever can create a cyber universe of desperate women to fawn all over him. Then there is the Word of God, the ultimate showstopper. The testimony of Scripture digs deep into our dark and despairing and desperate hearts. In a word, the Word says that we are totally and utterly and entirely worthless. Does that sound harsh to you? Does it sound unkind? Is it image-shattering? Is it damaging to one's self-esteem? What about our fragile psyches? Well, the world would say it is. They would put their psychologized fingers in their ears and run as fast as they could from a person that talked like that right before they canceled them. Maybe we ought to take a look at the testimony of Scripture. Paul said in Romans 3.12, and I'm not making this up, or as they say, you can't make this up. By the way, we would not make this up because we flatter ourselves. We are so infatuated with ourselves. By the way, this is one of the testimonies. This is one of the affirmations or declarations in Scripture that helped convince me that God's Word is true. When man writes a book, he is self-congratulatory. He is self-flattering. We are somebody. When God writes a book, he says, quote, All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Paul's predecessor, Isaiah, said, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Paul ties his matter-of-fact declaration to our inability to achieve any merit or righteousness outside of the alien righteousness of Christ. He's talking about original sin and imputed sin. Original sin is that we are totally depraved through and through. Imputed sin is that we're not guilty of what Adam did, but it has been credited to us. And so no matter which way you go, we are broken. Or to use Paul's language, we are worthless. Having worthless righteousness, that is a, an assimilation of Paul and Isaiah's Uh, language. Paul says we're worthless, and Isaiah says that our righteousnesses are, are unclean or like a polluted garment. So at best, we have worthless righteousness and worthless worth, by the way. These are two different things, and I would not want you to confuse those. We do have worth in the sense that God made us in His image which makes us valuable because of Him. But our fallen state makes us incapable of generating righteousness. There's more about our original and imputed badness from God's Word, but I'll not deflate you entirely. Though maybe for some that might not be a bad idea. I know at least it helps me to become less stuck on myself when the mirror of Scripture stares me down without an apology. It's just when I start to feel pretty good about myself that the Bible grabs my heart and says that I am worthless. 
I am the lowest of the low. I stink to high heaven from the inside out. This worldview brought me to the crossroads of righteousness, mine or Christ. The Bible prods me to decide if I will create my goodness so others will like me, or will I find righteousness somewhere else? Self-generated righteousness, the more technical term that I've been talking about, it is tiring and insatiable. It is a weight-lifting marathon ad infinitum. There is no end to its demands and its mandates that I must always be on my guard, ever vigilant, never hoping never to make the fatal mistake that would put me on the outs with the ones that I expect to fill my love cup. By the way, another peek into my past. As I'm going down Olive Branch Road, drinking my beer with the straw plunked in it, throwing the alcohol to the back of my throat so I can get it down as quick as possible, I was still not able to keep up with my friends because, quite frankly, I didn't want to because it tasted terrible. And so what I would do is I would toss the cans out the window as they did. Now, this, again, not a recommendation on any level. As you're going down a road real slow at night and there's no sound whatsoever, make sure that you don't throw the can on the asphalt because it will not cling like theirs did because it was empty, but it would clunk. And a clunking beer can means that it's half filled and that is a problem. And I would not get my love cup filled if I was throwing out half filled beer cans. And so therefore I made sure I threw them as far as I could so they would not hear the clunk. There would never be a clink with me. Christ-generated righteousness is not dependent on my works because I'm resting in His good deeds on my behalf. Now, doesn't that sound easier? Maybe you're not as complicated as me and you haven't pretzled yourself as much as I did to be loved by somebody. But whatever you have done, I promise you that Christ-generated Christ righteousness is a lot easier on you, not Him. And we can rest in His good deeds rather than trying to rest on our polluted garments. His laborious and heroic work for me motivates me to cease striving. Jesus brings order to the chaotic and the craving soul. But there is danger here, my friend. You need to be warned. There is danger ahead if you choose Jesus' works over yours. You will not be free from the temptation to conjure up your righteousness. Your pride will not let you experience uninterrupted shalom and satisfaction in Christ because you'll want to receive some acclaim. Adam ever liveth, and he will ever liveth inside of us until we receive our glorified bodies. And so we cry out like Paul, I die daily. The devil in you, original sin, will push you to promote yourself. Your hideous desires to garner people's affection will always be crouching at the door of your heart. My appeal to you is to fight this. Don't give in to the daily temptation to promote your value through self-generated efforts. 
the person who realizes they are worthless regarding their righteousness is the individual who is ready to receive another righteousness that is far superior to any self-glorification that they could ever muster up, conjure up. Practically speaking, I do have to attack my pride by immersing myself in God's Word, regular praying, and a group of friends willing to carefully and lovingly speak into my life. Without the watchful eye of my wife, children, friends, my self-righteousness will grow unchallenged. I was just talking to uh, my wife and our, our youngest daughter, and I was talking about how easy it is to do these podcasts when they're not around. Our studio here is in the office, and so I do these podcasts, and they're always around. I've been doing these things for 100 years now. But when they are walking through the house and hearing some of these wonderful and wise and deep and humble and transparent things that I'm saying, I'm thinking, oh my, I wish I could live some of these things that I'm saying. And it has happened on more than one occasion where I had sinned against my wife. And then as I'm doing these things here, the sweet Holy Spirit would convict. This is what I was telling them. The sweet Holy Spirit would convict me and say, my, you ought to try that at home. But wait, you are at home. Maybe after you finish this podcast or video, you need to go and ask your wife for repentance. Well, I have done that many times. By the way, that is something that I've done in counseling a few times as well. One of the advantages of being a biblical counselor is that while you're saying this awesome stuff to other, <laughs> to other people, the counselor drops by, capital C, called the Holy Spirit. And when he drops by and convicts my wretched heart, then I come home with my hat in my hand, and Lucia will say, ah, the counselor showed up in the counseling office today. Yeah. He did. There is an advantage of writing these things and sharing them with you because the sweet Holy Spirit shows up sometimes and asks me to get in line. Now, in this particular article that I'm sharing with you, there's an infographic, and I want you to have it. Can't show it to you here, uh, but I do want you to get it. And so what I would encourage you to do, I'm going to explain it to you in just a moment best I can. But what I want you to do is to go to lifeovercoffee.com, and I want you to have it. Did you know that we have over 130 infographics in the footer of our website? At least that's where the link is. And if you go to the footer on any page, just click that word. It says shareables, and then you'll see the uh, infographic link uh, on the other side of shareables. And there's over 130 of them, and one of them is this graphic. Now, if you want to find it inside of this article here, then what you're looking for is the most effective way to feel better about yourself. Now, I've given you a way not to feel better about yourself, and that's trying to impress other people. That's by pretzeling yourself into non-Walmart t-shirts or beer cans with a straw. But the way that I have been sharing with you to feel better about yourself, I know it rings counterintuitive. I am worthless. My righteousnesses are as a polluted garment. How is that going to lead me anywhere that's going to make me feel good about myself? Well, the bad news leads to the good news. That's the most simple, simplest way I could tell you. And so in this infographic, you have a, a little boy at the bottom of the graphic. 
He is looking up and he can look to the right or to the left. As he looks to the upper left, he sees a group of people. These individuals are the ones that he hopes will like him. He senses their need for approval. He wants their approval and their acceptance, and he is afraid of their rejection. Now, this group is in all of our lives. In the upper right-hand corner of all of our lives, there are a group of people that if we're not careful, we will succumb to what we believe that they want. We will fear their rejection. We will want their approval. Many parents struggle this way as their children do not walk with the Lord, and they'll find themselves trying to become whatever it is that they could win their children back. It won't work. You won't win them back. And we can do that in so many other ways. Many of them I have already mentioned about myself. Now, in the upper left-hand corner of this infographic, there is Christ. The testimony of Scripture says, I am worthless. I have no inherent goodness. Even my good stuff is rotten stuff in the eyes of God. I'm a mess with no ability ever to change my condition. While I can fake out others for a season through my self-generated righteousness, it becomes vain work that leads to a wasted life. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, in the upper left-hand corner of this infographic, He's the exact opposite. He has value. He is righteous. And I want to find myself in Christ, in Christ, because I cannot create what He offers freely. If you're going to feel better about yourself, then you have to find Christ. End of story. Not only does he have value, but he is valued. The Father loves the Son. The Father is only pleased with you. He is only pleased with me when we are in the Son. It is like someone appreciating you for the clothes that you are wearing. As long as you're wearing the clothes, you will be appreciated, loved, accepted, as long as the righteousness of Christ clothes are on me, I am fully valued, treasured, loved, approved, accepted, never rejected by the Father. My value is in Christ alone. I cannot work to get it. I cannot do anything to lose it. This is, these are permanent clothes that you wear, the righteousness of Christ. Jesus is the treasure in this jar of clay which can satisfy any soul. You remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. He's the treasure. We are the clay pots. And so rather than craving the uncatchable, capturable approval from other fallen people, you can fully rest in the inextinguishable righteousness of Christ. In Christ, we can cease striving for people-pleasing. And this is the most effective way to feel better about yourself. The problem will be, for the person who rejects this, is that they do not want to descend to the depths of what Scripture says we are. They want to maintain that self-generated righteousness so they can prance in front of other people. They had rather have self-generated approval rather than descending into the humility that we have to go to 
in order to be exalted in due time through regeneration. Let me ask you a few questions about these matters. Question number one, is Christ's righteousness enough for you? I realize I'm asking you a yes or no question, and so I would encourage you that you talk to someone about this. Let them know what you heard, what you saw, what you read, and say, hey, uh, I'm answering this question, but i really like to talk through it with someone who can understand these things and that we can have this conversation for transformation. Is Christ righteousness enough for you? One of the ways to know that is how much striving you do to receive the appreciation of others or how hurt you are when someone rejects you, disapproves of you. Number two, what subtle ways do you get people to praise you? You ever heard the term humble brag? What's your trick to trick others into liking you? Now, I know you have one. I trust you have that kind of self-awareness, that kind of clarity into how you operate. I can share a few of mine. Number three, are you okay with others correcting you? I'm talking about correcting you with the right spirit, and they do see things that need to be addressed in your life. Do you allow others to care for you, specifically when challenging you? If we do not create, one, an environment of grace that creates that space to where we can have these types of conversations and then implore certain right people, appropriate people to speak into our lives, then we're, we're flying blind. We do not see all that we can see. We don't have that kind of peripheral vision to know what we need to know about ourselves. Other people see us from the outside. We see ourselves from the inside out as we look out onto the world, but they experience us. They experience us differently from how we experience us. And so therefore, we want to ask them, how do you experience me? In what ways can I change? And if we don't have those friends in our lives, then, well, we're more or less friendless. That means we have a bunch of rubber stampers surrounding us, and that's uncool. One of the things that we like as, as parents have asked our children many times is, how can we serve you, one? Uh, two, in what ways can we change? What do you observe in our life? Now, this is something that these, these questions, these dialogues happen as they have grown older and they have matured in, in helping us. Uh, one of our parenting aims has always been for our children to blow past us, to mature, to grow past us, even to the point to where they are caring for us, not just physically, but also caring for us spiritually. It used to be a one-way street, like all the time. It was unidirectional, where we were providing all the provision and all the spiritual care. But those things are turned, and I trust that's the case with you as well. But if it's not, then I would just appeal to you to, to pray and ask God to bring one close friend into your life so that they can provide for you spiritually. They can help you see what you can never see because they experience you differently. Number four, are you daily growing in your desire to have Christ's righteousness alone? Yes or no question. So what if you talk about how the gnawing internal awkwardness of shame is shrinking? Find that friend and, and talk about how, like I was explaining at the beginning, 
I was wild and on fire. I was infuriated and lonely and isolated and insecure. I wanted somebody to like me. Well, over time, that has been shrinking, praise God, and it needs to shrink a little bit more as well. That would be a wonderful conversation for transformation. Number five, how are you practically allowing your friends to help you in your fight against self-righteousness? Now, again, if you're not having those conversations, will you ask the Father to bring you a close, trusted friend into your life so that you both can benefit from the richness of these conversations? These conversations have to be reciprocal. Uh, you want someone like-minded who will enter into these conversations with you. And then finally, number six, who speaks into your life? How are they helping you mature in Christ? Thank you so much. God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.